Our scripture reading this morning comes from the uh, book of Galatians. If it'll be up there or not, if you want to look in your your pew Bibles, Galatians is the uh, first of the short letters, the short epistles, follows Romans and the Corinthians, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and Galatians. Galatians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. Grace and peace to you from from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, Let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Well, good morning. Everybody's doing well today. Made it through the uh, snow and the the ice. Uh, My name is Bob Erbig. I'm a pastor down in Basking Ridge and a... uh, Basking Ridge is about an hour southwest of here, and uh, a friend of Kevin's, uh, Pastor Kevin's, and I became acquainted with him a few years ago uh, through a mutual friend that we knew from Colorado, so if you kind of triangulate all that stuff. Um, I've been here a few times before, so some of you I recognize, some of you I don't, so it's good to see you guys, uh, you guys again. Um, if you pray with me, then we'll, uh, we'll start looking at God's Word this morning. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and for your goodness and your grace, Lord. Father, thank you for all the truths that we sang about today, Lord, for, um, Father, for your faithfulness and your mercy, Lord, that your name is higher than any name um, out there, Lord God. And so, Lord, we pray as we look at your word today, Father, as we look at the truth of your gospel, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be changed and transformed, that you would soften our hearts today, Lord, and that we would leave this place with the desire uh, to impact this world for you, Lord. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Well, at, at the church that I'm at, we, uh, we spent the fall looking at the book of Judges and Ruth, and uh, when I spoke with Kevin in January, I said, we're beginning a new series on the book of Galatians that we're, we're calling Liberating Grace, uh, the theme of the gospel running throughout the entire, uh, the entire letter of Galatians, and I asked him, is it okay if I, I come and share a little bit about that today with your congregation? He said, that, that's great, preach the gospel. I said, okay. Um, so that's where we're at today, and... Um, Paul's letter to the Galatians, other than probably his magnum opus to the, Rome, to the, uh, the church in Rome, is, uh, is the quickest way to get us to understand what the gospel is. And so Paul's uh, beginning here in Galatians, what he's trying to share with us is, is a passion for the purity of the gospel. And so in the first nine, we're actually going to look at verse 10 too today, uh, we're going to see those things uh, very much come out in his letter to the Galatians. So to start us off, 
I just want to show you a couple images because I'm hoping that I'm in the right area of New Jersey. How many Yankee fans do we have here today? Okay. Hopefully some. Okay. Is there Met fans here? I'm trying not to uh, offend everybody. Met fans? Okay. All right. Good. So, but anyway, with the Yankees, I was a Yankee fan growing up. And uh, I, even through the bad times, the late 80s, the 90s, uh, they were not good. But when we got into the mid-90s, the Yankees won their first you know, championship in like 18 years. Uh, I know that was a, uh, you know, a, a long drought for them, uh, for other teams not so much. But one of the things that I remember growing up watching the Yankees over and over again, and if you're a Yankee fan, you can relate to this, and even if you're not a Yankee fan, you can probably relate to this. Uh, you would watch, and sadly he's not here anymore this year, Derek Jeter, giving post-game interviews every year. They did not win the World Series, saying that it doesn't matter how far we got, we didn't win the World Series. Winning is the only thing that matters, and we did not win. We didn't get the ultimate prize. And if you were a Yankee fan, you grew up knowing the only thing that mattered was winning the World Series at all costs. And I wonder if that's something that we can relate to today. Not necessarily winning the World Series. Not winning the World Series. Oh, I'm sorry, go back. I forgot. I didn't have a thing. Not winning the World Series, but the idea of performance. That in our lives, it does not matter what we did over the last year or how many times we got the A or made the sale or closed the deal or earned the money. It doesn't matter. It's, it's what have you done for me lately? Have you ever felt like you haven't performed enough and there is a, desire, a need for you to continue to perform like nothing is ever good enough? Or have you ever felt like you were not accepted by a group of people because you did not live in a certain place or wore a certain clothing or had a certain occupation and end, because you were not accepted by those people, you would do whatever you could to be accepted by those people? Now you can show this one. When I was in elementary school, this was actually a thing. If you're like, you know, early, mid-30s, you kind of know, like, growing up, this was what my mom dressed me like, okay? Uh, this, this was called skids, the pants. This was what was in back in, like, the 80s and 90s, and I don't know what they were thinking, but this is what was there. And if you wanted to be in and accepted, this is what you would wear. Thankfully, it's gone, and I no longer wear that. We no longer wear that anymore, but... Um, it's the idea of changing things, doing things in order to get acceptance. Even with New Year's resolutions, we strive really hard to accomplish goals so that we can be, you know, accepted by a certain group of people or, you know, it's time to perform again. When you set a goal, you're trying to gain approval from somebody, and in many ways you miss the point. And when it comes to our resumes, we live in a world that demands that we build a resume, And at times, it may even feel like God demands that we build a resume. You may be in here today and feel like the Christian faith is just a bunch of rules and things that need to be followed and you need to measure up. And what we're we're going to see in the book of Galatians today is that God does not look at our resume, but he looks at Jesus' resume. Okay, it is what Jesus accomplished for us. But the problem is that we, this isn't intuitive to us. Again, because we live in this world where it, it doesn't matter how many times you've heard that, there's, there's something inside of you that says, I need to do a little bit more in order to think that maybe God will love me or maybe uh, somebody else will love me. I need to keep doing and keep working. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus has done it for us. We do not need to engage in self-salvation techniques or the false gospels that we're going to see that Paul is combating here, but our approval is found in 
Christ. And when we don't find our approval and run to Christ, it will ultimately put us in bondage. But the freeing power of the gospel is Christ's death on the cross has secured for us everything that we need. So my question for you today is this. Are you in bondage or are you free today? Are you feeling like you constantly need to build up your resume so that you will be accepted by someone or even God himself? Now, the background of the book of Galatians is this, if you have not studied the book before. Paul is writing to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, the southern part, which I'll show you in just a second. And the events are taking part uh, in between the events of Acts chapter 13 and 14 and Acts chapter 15, when an event called the Jerusalem Council uh, would happen. And Paul has learned that a group of people called the Judaizers are teaching a false gospel to these churches. And he's not happy about this because Paul's passion in the letter to Galatians is the purity of the gospel of grace. If you have come here today and you are trying hard to measure up and get yourself right with God before you can come to him, listen to these words that the reformer Martin Luther said about the book of Galatians. He said, therefore, God accepts only the forsaken, cures only the sick, gives sight only to the blind, restores life only to the dead, sanctifies only the sinners, gives wisdom only to the unwise fools. In short, he has mercy on those who are wretched and gives grace only to those who are not in grace. Therefore, no proud saint, no wise or just person can become God's material and God's purpose cannot be fulfilled in him. He remains in his own work and makes a fictitious, pretended, false, and painted saint of himself, that is, a hypocrite. And the Judaizer heresy that Paul was combating, was to, they were saying that you needed to go, the Galatian believers needed to go and be circumcised based on Genesis chapter 17. That that was the only way you could come into the kingdom of God. And Paul says, no, it is not based on that, it's based on what my son has accomplished for you. And so three things we're going to see in this passage, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk back through the text, uh, and this will be from the ESV, and the words will be on the screen. But the first thing we see here is that Paul reminds the believers who he is, Paul reminds the believers who he is and what Jesus has done. So he, he hits at his apostolic authority and reminds them what Jesus has accomplished for them on the cross, and this is what, this is what he'll write. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. So Paul does a couple things at the opening of the letter. First, Paul appeals to his, what we call, apostolic authority. An apostle is anybody who spent time physically with Jesus. This would include his disciples and also Paul, because Paul experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so when Paul is coming in here and saying, I received this message, not through man, but through Jesus, he's saying, I actually met Jesus. And the message that I'm talking about, the true gospel, came directly from God to me. It wasn't something that somebody passed on to me. I received it directly from him. Now, in Protestant circles, uh, we have a different view of apostolic authority than if you perhaps have a Catholic background. Catholics believe that the uh, apostolic succession actually came down from the apostles and now resides in the office of the Pope. But in the Protestant view, the Bible is our authority. The message, the word of the gospel, salvation history, comes to us through the scriptures. And so Paul is saying here, his authority is not from men, but from God. And to do this, he appeals to the power of God through the resurrection, saying that God, this God who passed this message on to me also raised Jesus from the dead. 
This God has the power to raise people from the dead. This is the God who I'm appealing to. And this letter is not coming just from me, but coming from my brothers who are with me. Paul is saying, I am not writing this alone, but also fellow believers are corroborating this message. He's combating, again, this this false message of the Judaizers. Now, who does he write to? He writes to this. He says, to the churches of Galatia. To the churches of Galatia. I mentioned there's, there's a number of churches in the southern part. So let me show you. This is the map. Modern day, which would be modern day Turkey. And uh, you see the area of Galatia over here. Paul's writing to these churches kind of down in the, in the lower portion here. Pisidian Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, Derby. Those are the four kind of churches that he's writing to that he planted with the message of the gospel. Uh, and there's, there's a few different views about whether Paul was writing to people in the north or the south. But most likely he's writing to people in the south before the events of Acts chapter 15. And this is what he says to them in verse 3. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this idea of grace, first time Paul mentions it in the letter. He says, the grace in Paul's letter should not be limited simply to an unmerited favor. But Paul, the grace, when Paul talks about grace in his letter, he's talking about the transforming power that the gospel has to change hearts and minds. I mentioned at the very beginning here that at our church, we studied the book of Ruth in the fall. And one of the, the main themes in the book of Ruth was this word hesed. That hesed was something, it was, it's translated in English, loving kindness. And the idea of hesed is that somebody who's more powerful does something, uh, does help somebody who's less powerful. They're showing hesed to that person. So in view of God, God, who is ultimately the most powerful person ever is, doing, is, is showing mercy and love and grace to somebody who is weaker. And so when Paul uses this word of grace, this is the view that he has in mind. Let me give to you a definition of grace from a guy named Paul Zale. And this is what he says. He says, grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves, in relation with the receiver, the one who is loved, that negates any qualifications that the receiver may personally hold. Grace is one-way Love. It matters not what you have done. It matters everything of what God has done. And because of that, you get peace. You get peace. And peace is knowing that you have received grace through what God has done for us. And there was a price that needed to be paid. And this is where Paul goes on in verse 4. He says this, uh, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So in this one verse, he expands what exactly the gospel is. And there's four things that encompass the gospel. Number one, the gospel shows us who we are. Who we are. That we are helpless and weak. That we could not save ourselves. If you were somebody who, I don't know how often you swim. I swim every so often. But let's picture this. You are out in a, in a river or a pond or a lake somewhere. And you see somebody out in the middle of that lake, and they're, they're trying really, really hard to swim, but it becomes very apparent they can't swim, and they're going to drown. What would you do? Would you take an instruction manual and send it over to them and say, hey, 
read that and you'll know how to swim and then you'll be fine. No. You would jump in and you would put that person on your back and pull them out. And what Paul is, the illustration Paul is giving here is that this is what Jesus has done for us. We were helpless and lost, incapable of saving ourselves until Jesus came and intervened in our life. And this is what Jesus did. We see what Jesus did. He gave himself to rescue humanity. The theological term is that it was, it was a substitutionary atonement. Jesus died for us. He died the death. We should have died, but we couldn't. Only he could have died. And what did the Father do when Jesus did this? What did the Father do? He accepted the work of Christ, that God is a holy God who demands punishment for sin, and we deserve to die for it, but he accepted the work of Jesus on our behalf. And why? Why was this done? It was done because of grace. Grace is rooted in the self-giving of Christ on the cross. And when I think about that, I think about that, that modern hymn which goes, You alone, God, can rescue. You alone can save. You alone belongs the highest praise because my salvation is based on you and you alone. And you've rescued me from this present evil age, as Paul writes. And then Paul finishes off this section with verse 5. And he says this, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Men, that because of this, God himself deserves all the glory. If you read through the book of Romans, you, you know that in the book of Romans, you go from chapter 1 all the way up to the end of chapter 11, Paul is unpacking doctrine and talking about the love of God and the grace of God and sin and salvation and everything. And you get to the end of chapter 11, and what does it say? It says in 11, Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Uh, Men, God deserves all the glory, and that word glory there is the Greek word doxa, which is where we get our word doxology from. Glory means that we are encompassing and organizing our life around one thing, and it is God who deserves all of that glory. All of that glory. So a couple of points of application before we move on to the next, next section. Um, a few things we see here in these first few verses. Number one, an application for us would be the authority of the Bible. Okay, Paul is going out of his way to appeal to his authority that he has received from God. And for us, if you're a Christ follower and you're somebody who wants to have a mind that is changed by the gospel, you have to sit under the authority of the Bible. But we live in a day and age where we don't like authority very much. We don't like people to tell us what to do. We like to go off and do things our own Way, But Paul is saying, no, the authority comes from God himself, which is coming from the Bible. Number two, we also need to be engaged in biblical community. Paul, Paul appeals to the fact that he's receiving, the, sending this letter from his brothers, indicating that he's part of a community. There's many people who think, man, if I just have the Bible, that's all I need, and I don't need the church. We do need the church. We need people to walk with us in community, to love us to point out lovingly where we're wrong and where we're off. We need biblical community. And that community needs to be grace-centered. Grace-centered. And if it's not grace-centered, here, here's practically how that works itself out. Because um, if, if we are so focused on what we do in our works, then we can very quickly think we're more noble than we actually are. We become more satisfied with our own accomplishments, and we don't constantly point our eyes back to Jesus and the cross. We start to compare ourselves with other people and say, man, look at how great I am, and that person over there really needs to, get, needs to get it together, but I have it all together. We even compare our families, and we think our kids are better. 
If we're not resting in Christ, we become very defensive when we're criticized because we're, we're basing our salvation on our actions and on ourselves rather than on Christ's and Christ's actions. And this is the thing that's going to blow up in the rest of Galatians is the difference between the gospel and the law, or the law and the gospel. These are God's two words. The reason God gives us the law, as Paul will tell us if you read further ahead in, in chapter 3, the reason God gives us the law is to show us essentially that we're sinners and we need Jesus. That if we try to gain life and salvation based on obeying the law all the time, we're not going to do it. It's going to bring death. But the law exposes how wicked and sinful we are and how much we need Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. If you are trying to live by the law, here's what happens. I can give you an illustration. Other people have talked about this in the past. That if I'm trying to base my salvation and my approval with God on the, on the law and obeying, man, I think I just have to keep performing. And I just have to keep obeying. And it's not that these things of obedience are bad, but, man, I just don't think unless I do read my Bible all the time and pray all the time, all good things, but if I, if I don't do these things, then God isn't going to love me. And if, in order for me to come and get God's love, I need to get my life all you know, together before I come to him, it's going to put me in bondage. And I got to tell you, these chains are pretty heavy. If I'm continuing to hold them up like this, eventually they're going to fall. You know, I can't do it on myself. Living in trying to obey the law is, is, is going to lead us into bondage. The reason we need the law, and this is what J. Gressa Machen, who is the founder of Westminster Theological Seminary, said, we have to have a high view of the law because when we see how, how, how we cannot attain the law, we have a high view of grace because we need grace all that much more. We need all that much more because God says, if you want to be saved, you need to be perfect. That's what Jesus said. And nobody is perfect except Christ and Christ alone. So it's all about God's glory. It's all about what Jesus has done. And he has the power to free us. So after Paul reminds them of the gospel, he tells them that they need to keep faith, and now he's angry. So this is where Paul, in in verse 6, Paul gets really angry, and Paul tells them to keep their faith in the one true gospel. So he's getting angry. He gets angry a few times in this letter, and there's an urgency to it. So this is what he writes. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And he's again talking about these Judaizers. Now when Paul says people are quickly deserting, he's saying, man, I was just there. I helped start this church. I explained the gospel of grace. And now, so quickly, you're running away from the gospel of grace and trying to engage in your own self-salvation techniques. Well, this reminds me back to when the people of Israel were taken into captivity in Egypt. And then I rescued my people and I brought them over you know, uh, brought them over the Red Sea by grace. I parted the Red Sea so they could escape. And then very quickly after that, they went back to building the golden calf and wanting to do things on their own and forgetting about God. And I studied the book of Judges, and I got to tell you, that didn't go so well for the, uh, for the nation of Israel. And Paul is saying, I, you know the gospel, and you quickly deserted it. But you were called, and when he says called, he's indicating that these are true believers. These are not false believers. You were called by the grace of Christ, and now you're going to something that's different, the gospel that's not 
true. These people are distorting the gospel. And Paul is angry and he is not happy about this. Now again, how does this play itself out in our lives? How do we, if we believe the gospel of grace, is it still possible to go to self-salvation techniques? Well, a guy named Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in um, Texas, he wrote a book called Recovering Redemption, and he identified really four areas where we can very quickly fall into self-salvation techniques, where we start to uh, think that we need something other than Christ. And the first one he says is this, it can very much be about ourselves, where we start to think we can do good before God based on our own efforts, which is what we, we've been talking about. Number two, it can be with others. You know, many of us swing up and down based on the approval and acceptance we get from other people. <laughs> and the only one whose approval should really matter is, is the one who you stand before in judgment someday. And so many times we base our approval on other people. The world. You know, we, we look to things of this world to give us the feeling of salvation. Maybe things aren't good at home, but things are going really well in our job. And so we, we put all our efforts there. Or things aren't going really that well, and so we eat that food that makes us feel really good. Or, you know, our achievements. We, we, based our, we base ourselves in many things in this world. Or we base it in religion. And religion is, is, this is essentially what it says. I'll do something for you, God, if you do something for me. God, I'll do all these things for you if you'll give me something back. And sadly, many times... Uh, it becomes about, God, what have you done for me lately? All these things we can very quickly run to to become self-salvation techniques. And Paul gives a harsh warning to those who would distort the gospel in this way and certainly in the way that the Judaizers are doing. This is what he says in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And he's pulling in, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 to 11, where it was talking about false prophets. And if there's a false prophet who comes in, it says they should be put to death. So let them be accursed or eternally condemned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed or eternally condemned. It's serious. Paul is saying the gospel, the purity of the gospel is serious. But he knows that the reality is all of us are prone to wander. I mean, there's a reason that I think Isaac Watts wrote that hymn. Prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Come thou fount, you know, save me. I need you. All of us are prone to wander, and it can very quickly make us Pharisees who are very judgmental if we start to focus on ourselves rather than focusing on the work of Christ on the cross. If we truly understand the gospel, we understand that we deserve nothing but we got everything because of what Christ did for us. So Paul's giving a strong call for the Galatians and us to remain true to the gospel message. And he makes one more statement. This is verse 10, which we didn't read before. And it's a hinge verse for the next section. So the last thing that Paul does is Paul reminds us that we should not be people pleasers, but God pleasers. God reminds us that we should not be people pleasers, but God pleasers. And this is, this is what he writes. Uh, chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeing... The approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And the natural question for us is, where are you and I trying to get our approval from? Who are you truly serving? Because if you are trying to get the approval of people, can you truly serve God? That's the question. 
What does it mean to please God? Because Paul is emphasizing here the danger of pleasing people over pleasing God. And I got to tell you, as somebody who struggles with people pleasing, you cannot please everyone. And if you're trying to please everyone, you're probably going to please no one. And ultimately, those people who you are not pleasing, who are we're trying to get you to do something. When you say no, they're going to try to get you to please them by, by bringing shame on you. And it's going to put you in bondage. I felt it. Most of the things we do in life are us trying to get approval from other people. When in fact our eyes should be focused on the cross and getting the approval of our Father. And understanding that our approval is because of what Jesus did. Because the gospel frees us now to pursue and love people because we are already accepted by Jesus. I've served with teenagers for many, many years. And here's one thing I know about teenagers, that they love to have friends. And one of the reasons why teenagers will not walk across the room and introduce themselves to a new person is because they're afraid, if I walk over and talk with this person, will they accept me or will they reject me? And the same thing is true when we become adults. That's why it's hard to meet new people sometimes, because we're wondering, will they really accept us, or will they reject us? But you see, if your identity and your security and your approval is based in the cross of Christ and what Jesus did, you already have all the approval and acceptance that you need. And so that should eliminate the fear of going over and meeting new people or doing things where where you're fearing rejection. That's what the gospel can free us so very much to do. So are you in bondage today or are you free? Because here's what I think Paul is getting at today. This is what Paul is saying. Liberating grace is found in Christ's performance, not ours. Liberating grace is found in Christ's performance, not ours. And I think John Wesley, the hymn writer, captured the liberating truth of the gospel when he penned the song, And Can It Be? It may be a hymn that you're familiar with, so let me just share a bit about it. He said, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite, His grace, he emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. And when you think about trying to obey and gain approval based on what you do and it putting you in bondage all the time, trying to obey the works of the law, And thinking that the works of the law and doing all these things will save you, it just weighs you down. Weighs you down. Like if you've seen the Christmas carol of whoever, Bob Marley, it's Bob Marley, he's in chains. It just weighs you down over time. Well, listen to what John Wesley wrote. He goes, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame to light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And friends, brothers and sisters, the amazing truth of the gospel 
is that we can sing in canopy. And just like Paul wrote elsewhere in Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. While we were weak, He died for the ungodly. That is the great truth that he's expounding upon in the book of Galatians. We may have bought into the belief that the gospel is something we hear before we get saved, but after we become Christians, we need to constantly run back to the cross and say, God, I need you, I need you. I need to fall at the foot of the cross. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but it's the A to Z. That the truth of the gospel is this, that the gospel is a story of creation. God creates the world. There was fall, and we live in a post-fall world. And the rest of the Bible, after Genesis 3, is all about redemption, about God pursuing a people, saving a people for himself, ultimately to restore this world. The gospel is also a message in that we were in bondage, we were sinful people before a holy God. Jesus came and died for us, and we need to repent and place our faith in Christ if we want to have salvation. But the gospel is also a process where every day, even though we're Christians, no matter how long we've been Christians, we still sin. And we need to come before God and say, God, I repent and I put my trust back in you, Lord Jesus, because I was running to something else that I thought could save me. I need to put my faith back in you. And so let me, let me give you just a few pieces of application here in closing. Uh, and I'll just put it in three words. This is on the next thing. We need a lot of gospel, safety, and time. And this is from a guy named Ray Ortland. And this is what he says. Gospel plus safety plus time. It is what everybody needs. A lot of gospel, a lot of safety, and a lot of time. And it's understanding that the gospel is good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. We need multiple exposures of the gospel to constantly hear it. We need to constantly be immersed in it and have wave and wave upon truth poured out on us. Number two, we need safety, which is a non-accusing environment. Not where people are finger-pointing or manipulating us or oppressing us. No condensation, because that's what the law does. The law says, man, look at how awful you are. It points out condemnation, but we need the gospel to come in and say, you're a sinner and you need the grace of Christ. And because of that grace, now you can start to pursue holiness. We need a lot of safety where sinners can come and confess and unburden their souls. And we need time where there's not pressure, where there's not even self-imposed pressure, or deadlines for growth, because everybody moves at a different pace. We need urgency, but not hurry, because no one changes quickly. We need a lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. This is what we need in our churches. Gentle environments of gospel plus safety plus time. This is what we need in order to grow. And as I shared this with my church I challenge them, imagine what would happen if we became a church like that. A church where the liberating grace of the gospel compels us to love people. Does the law or does grace compel us to change and follow Jesus more? When you truly understand what Jesus did for you and how sinful we are, and we are amazed by the gospel and the cross, we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you gave everything for me. How can I not give everything for you? and pursue a life of holiness in obedient response to you because of your sacrifice for me. The law can only expose sin. It cannot save us. The law can only bind us with a performance we cannot meet, but it is the grace of the gospel that sets us free, and that's why Paul will write at the end of the letter, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Liberating grace is found in Christ's performance, not ours. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for this morning and for my friends who are here today. Father, thank you for the amazing truth of the gospel. Thank you for your son's work on the cross for us. Thank you for the empowering presence of the Spirit. Lord God, I pray that we would again find our worth and our acceptance in the cross and what you have done for us, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to live a life where we are living out your story to this world and sharing the story with our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.